Good morning. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've noticed today, but uh, it, it feels like our children are incredibly quiet. Uh, and I, I notice a, a common, uh, it's one of two things. Um, it's either it's so hot out that they just don't have any energy to make any noise, or it's because my daughter's not here. Uh, <laughs> maybe the, the, the instigator who, who stirs the pot. Um, but uh, we do give thanks that, that summer uh, does finally seem to be upon us. And if the heat wasn't enough, uh, you can always tell because Lloyd's wearing Hawaiian today and Rick is in shorts. Um, it's a sure sign that, that summer is finally here. Um, if you've been with us uh, the last few weeks, maybe one of the things that you've noticed thematically in a lot of our readings is we, we've seen a lot of Jesus sending his disciples, uh, you see that very vividly on, on Pentecost, right? When, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and descends on the, on the apostles in a very visible way and sends them out in power, and they immediately begin proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Uh, the next Sunday, we, we took a look at Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus himself sends his disciples out into the world to go and, and disciple and baptize the nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then last weekend, Pastor Brad preached on, on the earlier section of Matthew 10 before what we, what we look at today. And you see there Jesus sending his disciples to the lost sheep of Israel. And Jesus saying to pray that God would send workers into the harvest. Pray that God would send people to make the gospel known. It's as if from Pentecost forward we begin looking at the way that God sends his people, which then in turn causes us to reflect and, and consider how God, too, has, has sent us, how he has sent us to make his word known. And, and as we look at the, the later portion of, of Matthew 10 today, we see this sending, but what we see here is, is sort of a preparation for the sending. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to go out in the world unprepared for what they will face, unprepared for potential opposition to their message. And these words kind of stand as a little bit of a warning for the disciples. And perhaps even a warning for you and I that we need to be prepared for what we may potentially face, prepared for possible persecution, prepared to receive hatred and violence prepared even to face death for the good news of the kingdom. And even if we don't experience those in our lifetime, we will certainly face suffering, we will certainly face temptation, we will certainly face persecution at the hands of the enemy. And so Jesus wants us to be prepared. And so we pick up at Matthew chapter 21. This comes right after Jesus tells the disciples that he is sending them out as sheep among wolves. In other words, prey among predators. Sending them out as, as people who embody love and patience and gentleness amidst a world that uses the tools of violence and death to accomplish its agenda. And so then he turns and he says in verse 21, describing the conditions that they will face, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So Jesus paints this this picture of, of the conditions under which His people are sent out to accomplish His mission. And it looks rather bleak, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus actually describes family strife caused by the gospel. Brother delivering over brother to death. Parents delivering their children to death and and children their parents. That, That there is no lukewarm when it comes to the gospel. It's either hot or cold. And Jesus says you'll receive hatred, you'll receive violence, persecution, all of these things for the message that I'm sending you with. It looks a little bit terrifying. And Jesus says that they shouldn't be surprised. Rather, this is exactly what they should expect. In verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. So if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? In other words, that as we follow Jesus and begin to find our identity in Jesus, our lives will begin to look more like the life of Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised when we're treated the same way that Jesus was treated. He says if they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they persecute you? An interesting thing about that title Beelzebul the, the word Zebul in, in Hebrew can be actually translated as dung. Um, so, so essentially you put that together, it's, it's sort of defecator or, or lord of dung. This is a title for Satan. They're, they're calling Jesus the master of that which is unclean and unholy. And if they treated Jesus that way, how do you think they're going to treat his followers? Like I said before, this this picture looks rather bleak, rather terrifying, doesn't it? And, And so what I find, I think, most interesting, most surprising about what Jesus says here comes in verse 26, where he describes, he's described all of these conditions, and then he turns and says, so, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Jesus paints a picture of of violence and and strife and suffering and persecution, even death, and says, eh, don't worry about it. Just just don't be afraid. To which I can't help but respond with just simply, wait, what? Fear and and terror seems like kind of the, the natural or appropriate response to all of these things. And you want me to not be afraid, Jesus? Fear fear seems exactly like what I should be filled with. I mean, typically we expect don't be afraid to come after all these promises of don't worry, everything's going to be fine, conditions will be okay, you'll be just just fine, A-OK. Not after painting this picture of violence, hatred, persecution, and death. You know, I, I think that this call to live without fear 
is perhaps one of the most difficult and one of the most challenging calls of Jesus for our lives. And I think one of the reasons for that is so much of our lives are built around self-preservation and self-defense. We, we, we spend most of our time, our energy, our, our efforts, spend a great deal of, of our money and resources on trying to preserve the lives that we have created for ourselves. Seeking to, to defend the houses that we have built with our own hands. And so our natural way of operating is, is fear. Fear of what might take away this life that I have, this life that, that I've built. And, and at best it will manifest itself in, in selfishness and anxiety. At worst it may manifest itself in, in violence. Violence, as, as you go after in, in self-defense, anyone who would try to take what's yours. Right? So when I fret and I worry about my clothing and, and what I wear and, and put on because I'm afraid that if I don't look and dress a certain way, then I won't be well thought of by my peers. I, I won't be looked upon as, as cool or, or relevant. I'm operating out of this sense of, of self-preservation and, and self-defense. So I worry and, and I'm anxious about whether or not I look good enough. Or when we work long, arduous hours, all at the expense of our families. We're operating out of this same sense of fear and self-preservation, trying to protect our, our image and our identity in the workplace. Finding our, our primary sense of who we are is, is all wrapped up in how much success we've attained. Or, or when we try to make our children in, into trophies and idols because we're worried about what our friends and our families and our neighbors might think if our children aren't star athletes and, and honor students and, and five-star musicians. We're operating out of that same fear of self-preservation, self-defense, that, that our identity is wrapped up in, in how successful I am as, as a parent. And, and we can even do it with, with things that, that are considered holy. Right? Pastors are, are still just as given to be workaholics and, as anyone else's. And, and ours is, is pretty easy to defend, right? It's for the church, right? It's selfless. It's about the gospel. Never mind that I'm neglecting all the other vocations that God has given me. Or we fret and we worry about whether our children will, will remain in the faith. All because we somehow have gotten this messed up idea that, that it's my job to, to create faith, not the Holy Spirit. Or, or we worry, and so we post fear-mongering articles all over social media anytime we feel like the church is losing its political privilege in our country as if somehow Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, somehow doesn't apply to us here. Or, or we live in, in fear and terror of, of temptation. We live in guilt over, over mistakes that we've made, simply not letting go of that pain. That's all living in, in, in fear, 
self-preservation, as if defending my life is my job, not Jesus. You know, when I think that when Jesus is calling us to, to live without fear, what, what he is calling us to do is, is to take a look and simply acknowledge that self-preservation and, and self-defense is simply a wasteless effort. It is a complete waste of our time and our energy because when it's all said and done, there is something that we simply cannot defend ourselves from, and that's death. That, that at the end of the day, there is no amount of effort or time or energy that can truly protect and preserve my life. And so he's calling us to build our lives and our identities on something that is unchanging and unmoving. Something that no amount of violence or, or persecution, no amount of suffering and temptation can take from us. Something that not even death can take from us. And that's precisely what Jesus says. He continues in verse 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than they. I love what Jesus does here because he takes the, the primary cause for fear, which is death, and he simply renders it impotent. He says, don't feel though, fear those who can kill you and after that do no more. Instead, fear, love, and trust the one who reigns over both death and eternity. The one who reigns over both body and and soul. Fear him. Put your trust in him. And the best part is the one person you should fear promises that he will take care of you. Jesus says, look out at the birds. Right? These, these little sparrows. Two are, are sold for a penny or, or maybe in our idioms, they're a dime a dozen. God takes care of them. Are you not more valuable to God than the birds? My wife is terrified of birds, so she would say absolutely. Jesus says that God will certainly take care of you too. Uh, I have a, a friend uh, who's a pastor. He's my pastor while I was in college. He's actually a, a mutual friend of, of Pastor Brad and myself. And, and Brad would agree that, that he is both, uh, both much wiser and far cooler than both of us. It's, it's true. <laughs> He's at least cooler than, than Brad. <laughs> but I remember when, uh, when I was attending his church in college, and, and we were just having conversations regarding faith, and, and I was expressing some, some anxiety about, about sharing my faith and, and things like that, and and, and worry that, that I'd be thought of as, as foolish or, 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 or stupid for, for believing in all that religious stuff. And, and he said something to me that, that has stuck with me. He said, Marcus, you don't defend Jesus. Jesus defends you. You don't defend Jesus. Jesus defends you. 
It is not your job to live in self-preservation and self-defense. It is not your job to protect your life. That is Jesus' job. And he can do it far better than you can. So put your trust in him. He is the one who calls us to live without fear. He's the one who reigns over death and hell. The one who, Revelation says, has the keys of death and Hades. He's the one who reigns over it all and he's given himself for you. The one who calls you to live without fear is the one who has entered into death and risen victorious over it so you would not have to live in fear of it. So put your trust in him. When we put our trust in him, when we find our identity in him, when we look to him to defend us rather than ourselves, that is what makes it possible for us to live without fear. Because we know that this Jesus will defend us. So as you go into the world, people of God, go and live without fear. Live without fear of of your mistakes, both past and future. Live without fear of temptation. Live without fear of, of what may be in store for the future of the church. Live without fear of of anything that will come your way because you have the confidence that Jesus will defend you until the bitter end. Live without fear each and every day because the crucified and risen Lord promises that he will surely defend you. Amen?